From Bristol, UK, I'm Pommy Harmer. And I'm Melissa Shamam, and this is The Quarantini. We're bringing you this podcast every week to keep your spirits up and until the COVID crisis in the UK has ended. So today we'll bring you a mix of ingenious responses to the virus, creative ideas for the future, and maybe a dash of the unexpected. By the way, a big up to Seb Gutierrez and his band, the Old Bones Collective, for Hot Flu or opening music. Hello and welcome back. We've got a really exciting show this week. As usual, we'll bring you a roundup of responses to the virus from all over the world. And as I just mentioned, for the dash of something exciting, we've got some music and this time it will be from the Zen Husies. And now it's time for our interview. I'm very excited about this. Well, you remember Seb Gutierrez, right? I just mentioned him from the Old Bone Collectives. Our opening music? Yes. <laughs> Seb has been a musician in the area in Bath, Bristol since 1997 after moving uh, from France to the UK. And he's worked with so many bands, it's incredible. And that includes the aforementioned Zen Husies, the Old Bone Collective, obviously, but also artists like Lady Nate that we also played in this podcast. Seb is a guitarist. He's been gigging in dozens of pubs in the area, touring festivals up to places like Walmart. And in the past few years, he started teaching guitar lessons. So I wanted to talk to him about this weird situation that is for musicians, because I think we've all got a lot of support from just listening to music, even if it's just online. And I think we've all been missing a love music in a form or another, whether you like big gigs or... Uh, partying with a DJ or classical music, you know, we've been deprived. So I called Seb and we discussed about how the lockdown has affected him and also his fellow musicians and how they can be supported by us, by each other, by the government. And also we talked about what sort of scene they want to see re-emerge after this crisis. So in terms of the performing, I guess many of us play a lot it takes a you know you gig sometimes it's every night sometimes it's, you, know, you get three gigs in a day uh it's it's it can be quite quite intense and i kind of stopped doing that by when i stopped playing with the hussies i kind of decided that i wanted to just enjoy the music a little bit more and not be depending on the on the money sites uh, as much as as i used to not chase the gigs and stuff so that's when i started uh, really uh, playing with the old uh, old ones collective and you know giving that more of a go uh, so yes i played a little less which was kind of good but it meant that i needed to make monies in a different way and i've always been doing a little bit of teaching teaching was kind of you know a little bit on the side and then it certainly became my main income so i've been doing way more teaching for a year so when we when the uh, lockdown uh, came uh, i carried on teaching basically <laughs> did a lot of teaching on zoom thankfully all my pupils and all my um, my students carried on the lessons with me and it was knackering extremely knackering as you know working in front of a screen all day like this is and interacting with people can be very very tricky very hard but obviously not as hard as 
as if you work in a hospital or if you work in a, all the other tough jobs. But, you know, for me, it was a bit of a change. And that was good. The only problem I had with that is I can take the teaching. I love teaching. It's something that I really like doing. But I kind of need to be a performer as well. Not necessarily a performer, but to be active and proactive in music and playing with people is what I really like doing and coming up with ideas and, and the practices. And But it's not necessarily the gigging that I miss the most. It's meeting up with people, being in a room and coming up with ideas and shaping things, shaping sounds and stuff. That's what I really missed. I spent the whole confinement saying to myself, I don't know how people do without a guitar. <laughs> people who don't play guitar, how do they how do they manage to spend, you know, their whole day in a house? You know, how you know, because it's been brilliant being able to just grab the guitar and just, you know, noodle away and just been, that's been really good. So yeah. And I guess that's what kept your students interested, right? Because themselves being in lockdown, like the guitar lessons became absolutely vital, right? Absolutely, absolutely. Parents loved it as well for the for the younger ones, you know, because at least that's half an hour when they don't have to deal with their kids, you know, <laughs> which is great. Uh, but yeah, funny enough, most of my most of my pupils, uh, adults and the younger ones, were actually more focused during the lessons. It was quite interesting. They they weren't distracted like they can be, and they played a lot. So uh, yeah, it's a great thing to have, and it's a great thing being a music teacher to just try to bring that to people you know, if you can. In terms of status, obviously, you're self-employed. So you were one of the lucky ones because you had already started teaching before this weird year and you were not really like losing a huge part of your income. But how did you react to the support that musician would be given and the government, the situation regarding the pandemic? I've had contact with a lot of musicians who were really appalled and some of them got absolutely no financial support. So how would you summarize your view of this situation? We got lucky because we signed up to Universal Credit uh, just before that. Um, a girlfriend changed, changed jobs and we found ourselves in a bit of a you know tricky situation um, financially. Uh, and so we we were already on the on the um, on Universal Credit when when it happened. So that was kind of it's it's. It's basically a safety net, you know, that allows you to pay for your rent and, you know, pay for your bills and stuff. It doesn't allow you to do much more than that, mind. You know, it's really, it's really basic. But compared to quite a lot of musicians that I know and I follow on Facebook and, you know, friends and stuff, uh, I'm certainly not going to complain because these guys were left with nothing. And if they didn't sign up for Universal Credit before, then signing up to Universal Credit, you know, during the pandemic was a nightmare. I know that some of them managed to some of them didn't they felt like a complete lack of support you know uh, from from the gov government I know some of them applied to different schemes and different fundings here and there but it wasn't easy for them again I'm not going to complain because you know we, we were okay and because I've made the decision to not survive with only gigging before the pandemic I was okay with I had a bit of money from from the teaching it was all right And one of the things that happened to you is that instead of getting money from the pubs and the venues you could gig in, you supported your favorite local venue by doing an online gig. Tell us a bit more about that. Yeah, that's right. Chris at the Royal Oak, the landlord of the Royal Oak, which is a, a pub, my local pub just down the road from, from where I live in Bath, just texted me once and he's, he's signed up for the uh, Save Our Venue campaign, crowdfunding, helping venues throughout the pandemic. And he, he texted me and said, oh, do, do you 
fancy doing a gig, you know, to help out with the campaign. I'm not that kind of musician. I never played solo stuff. I've always collaborated with people and, and this is where I belong. So therefore, certainly, you know, doing a gig by myself, like, who's going to want to watch me strum my guitar you know um, what am I going to do and it sounded a little bit ludicrous and eventually I thought about it and I was like well I'll tell you what that's a challenge I tried to do that a gig uh, by myself my son Oscar joined me on drums and we did some old ones collective tunes and uh, we had a bit of a jam and I played a few few tunes by myself and it was a it was a great experience a lot of people followed the gig watched the gig I think the kid factor played a big <laughs> role in that you know it's a kid playing drums he did a fantastic job he had a really really good uh, feedback from a lot of drummers but but yeah we did the campaign I think we've raised a bit of money that was really good I think Chris was quite quite happy with that and then we did a few more after that so your first gig was online on Facebook I think it was and I know you're discussing with a lot of musicians what what are your plans what do you expect it's really tricky because the way it works with musicians is that you you know first of all I like to say that before the confinement it was the situation was really tough for for musicians anyway Um, venues struggling to pay musicians well whether it's you know their fault or not I know uh, there's been lots of discussions with promoters and venues and and artists and how we can how could we make the the situation better before confinement it was already already tough uh, and those discussion discussions were taking place already Um, but uh, yeah confinement has just basically made the whole thing even even harder obviously because when you're a musician you need to book your style your 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 gigs well ahead you know it takes you know six months to a year um and you need new materials and you need you know so you need recordings you need videos you need all of this um so at the moment we are a place where venues then you're not going to send them your your stuff because they're they're like well we don't know what we're going to be doing we don't know when we open they already have their old bookings all the stuff they had to cancel uh obviously they probably they'll be the acts that they're going to be booking first so it's just you're you're in a you're in a funny place i'm kind of lucky because i didn't have too too much work cancelled but in terms of stuff that i had lined up september october november i've got no idea no idea if we'd be able to play or not we don't really know it's, it's quite tricky so i know that a lot of people have launched other campaigns nationally let the music play and you know support the venues are you discussing with friends and first how can we help you in general and do you have like schemes that you think would be making a difference in the long term or is it too complicated to have a vision of what should be done by the government or any sort of like national level policy well, it is quite complicated because I think the problem is both global and, and local. But uh, regarding the world of culture and music and theatre and all that, you need to have a clear idea of what kind of society you want to have. And is culture going to become elitist or is it for everyone? Do you want to basically, do you want to spend the money? I guess that's that's the main thing. And it feels like they, they don't. It feels like, you know, before confinement, musicians, before the lockdown, musicians and lots of artists, were left behind and I don't think we've heard anything clear from the government that you know that is going to change that and on the local front my problem is the same one that I had before the lockdown pay the musicians you know people don't have a clue about what uh, the reality of of being a musician is and it's normal you know I don't have a clue about the reality of being um, I don't know an accountant or whatever you know what I know is that in Bristol and in Bath you go and see live music for free and promote 
promoters don't want to charge at the door because they feel like people aren't going to come and watch the gig. It's quite problematic because nobody pays for music anymore. You don't pay for music when you listen to it online or people are quite happy to pay 250 quid or 300 quid to go and see a Take That concert somewhere. You know, so it's it's quite crazy how the job of a musician is perceived. It's, it's interesting. People don't really realize that to be a musician, you need to make an album, you need to make a video, you need to, a lot of the time, to pay someone so that your music is being heard. Stuff that you do with your band is being seen in newspapers and stuff. All this costs a fortune. It really costs a fortune. So before, when you see a band play on, you know, on the stage, even if it's the, you know, the canteen or, you know, or, or the bed or whatever, well, that band is already in debt. You know, you already spend like three grounds, you know, in just to get your album out. And your album, you're never going to sell because these days you don't sell an album. You make an album so that people book you for a gig, you know. <laughs> Well, thank you so much, Seb, for sharing your experience. It's a fascinating world of creativity. Most artists out there, they want to display what they do. They don't all expect to become millionaire superstar. That doesn't happen anymore. That's so, right. So, yeah, thanks for letting us come into your world. It's fantastic things you're doing. Oh, well, thank you very much for, for having me. and it's been, it's been a pleasure. That was our friend Seb Gutierrez, guitarist, musician, guitar teacher and founder of the Old Bones Collective fabulous stuff and it's so good to have heard from him after having his music um, start off our show for 20 shows so it's now time for our weekly roundup yes two new COVID-19 testing centres have recently been planned here to be set up in Bristol uh, one at the Victoria Rooms car park on the Triangle, you know, near Clifton, last week of August, and another one in Netham Park near Barton Hill, located in the pavilion. And the rest of the park will be accessible to the members of the public. Um, this one is expected to be open from the 1st of September and from 8am in the morning, obviously 8am, from 8am to 8pm, Part of the park has been recently fenced off with metal berries in order for workers to finish with machinery. Um, some people have been complaining about taking a bit of uh, part of the park for that um, centre, but I guess, you know, we're not finished with this crisis. So. No, and we really need to have more testing, don't we? Staying in Bristol, Bristol's found a new way to get behind the colourful doors of the city with lockdown ending the usual open doors events in September. And I've really loved seeing some of the places that only open for one or two days a year. Last year, I remember going to the top of the cement factory right on the edge of the River Severn. It was amazing. You could see right over to Wales and, uh, you know, we all had to wear hard hats and oh, it's great. Anyway, this year, it's all about immersive audio tools and you can pick from four. Obviously, you have to book them and you have to have a phone, I think, with earphones. And the two that caught my eye, Melissa, one was Hidden Harbour. And this one has been created by Vanessa Kishule, who's the city poet, the outgoing city poet. And she's created a tour that takes us on a journey through a thousand years of history, from the merchant traders, slaves and slavers, to where the statue of Colston was thrown unceremoniously into the water that we all remember. And it features number 10 Guinea Street. That was the house that appeared on A House Through Time. It talks about the Bristol's lively harbourside, hidden caves and the M-Shed docks. 
And the other one I want to do is called Vibrant Bristol. This is called Vibrant Bristol, Street Art and the Painted City. Bristol is obviously home to Europe's largest street art festival, Upfest, and it's the birth of Banksy. And Bristol is famed for its vibrant painted streets and multicoloured horizons. You can see in Totterdown there's, a, 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 there's some brightly coloured houses and there's also some in Clifton Down. So what is the story behind the paint? Well, this tour will tell us all. That's great. Talking about Banksy, Pommy, he... And I'm sure you've seen that. He just announced that he has been funding a boat to rescue refugee in the Mediterranean Sea. I know, I know. And it's called Louise Michel after a French feminist anarchist. Have you heard of her? Yes, of course. She's extremely famous. This The, the little park near my former flat, it was called Louise Michel. She's a um, legend. Oh, well, that's great because I'd never heard of her. She's like the French um, um, Emily Pankett. Oh, okay. So is she so is she died? But yeah, she was um part of the La Commune in eighteen seventy, so she has unfortunately passed away indeed. Oh yes, she's long gone. Well, so this boat's been named after her. She set off in secrecy on the eighteenth of August from a, the Spanish seaport of Buriana near Valencia. Valencia. And is now operating in the central Mediterranean. The crew is made up of 10 European activists with long experience in search and rescue operations. And as it's a feminist project, only the female crew members are allowed to speak in the name of Louise Michel. It's painted in bright pink and features Banksy artwork depicting a girl in a life vest holding a heart-shaped safety boy. The Louise Michel sails under a German flag. It's 31 metres long formerly owned by French customs authorities. And uh, according to the International Organisation for Migration, more than, more than 7,500 migrants have been intercepted so far this year and returned to Libya. And so far also this year, more than 500 refugees and migrants have known to have died in the Mediterranean. Obviously, the real number is probably considerably higher than that. So... Well done, Banksy, for funding a boat that's going to rescue particularly Libyan refugees. It's a very bold initiative. I've worked on um, refugee issues for years and years and I've been to every side of that Mediterranean Sea to talk with people. Working on this such boats, it's really difficult because all the support from the EU, from Italy, has been cancelled by all these recent governments and it's the right thing to do. Well done. Have you read the letter? I mean, it's a funny story, right? Banksy sent an email to this young activist and she was like, what? <laughs> he wants to support us. It's like a dream. Anyway, more good news from Germany. You remember UBI, POMI, Universal Basic Income? Well, a new pilot has started over there in Germany and up to 1,500 people will thus receive uh, 1,200 euros a month as part of a three-year basic income experiment. It was reported um, in many newspapers, including The Independent. Researchers in Berlin want to know how unconditional flow of money affects people's behaviour. And um, we talked about that in our 
previous episode with Professor Guy Standing, who also found that it actually affects them quite positively. So it could be a way of potentially supporting people during this coronavirus pandemic and beyond. The advocates claim that a small and regular income from the state to all citizens would help tackle poverty, encourage flexible working practice and allow some people to spend more time caring for, for instance, older family members, but also children, also work in charity for the community and many more things. So this German pilot study will initially see 120 people handed the monthly sum of 1,200 euros, which is above a thousand pound, and they will monitor how it changes their work path patterns and leisure time. I just want to say lucky them. <laughs> That's fantastic, isn't it? And maybe if that works really well, it will spread throughout Europe and, oh, even come over to this country. And lastly, on a last optimistic note. Yes, last week the WHO said that uh, by utilising the available tools that we have to the maximum and hoping that we can have additional tools like vaccines, we could get rid of the covid 19 in a shorter time than the 1918 flu, maybe less than two years. So that was just a little statement, but that tells it all, right? They're starting to see an end to this, right? The WHO is the world's World Health Organization set by the UN and they've been monitoring this crisis. They also recommended that children over 12 years old now use a mask in, in fresh guidelines from uh, the UNICEF branch working with children. Well, hopefully, because we've seen already six months of this, um, the end of this will come next year. Wow, that would be good, wouldn't it? So now it's time for a dash of something exciting. Yes, we have a bit of music, obviously. And um, you remember our guest, Seb Yes, He was for years with a band that I mentioned. It's quite legendary in Bristol. They called the Zen Husseys. They toured the UK and they've played for about 10 years in most of the pubs in town, especially, I'd say, the Old Duke and the Contine and the Full Moon but so many others. They've also released half a dozen of albums. They have uh, an incredible amount of band members because it's like they have, you know, so many instruments, two guitarists, and they all have nicknames, so you will probably not know who they are exactly, but one is called Shasha, the other one is Jonah, Diogenes, Flatfoot, Count Sebsky, Rocket Pants, Baron von Brathurst, and Babyface Cooper. But... To unveil the truth, the guitarist is our friend Seb and the singer is the famous and very first guest of the Quarantini podcast, Teen Teen Quarantino, a.k.a. Jules Lando. Oh, remember him 20 episodes ago? Who could forget? The tune is called Not In The Mood. I love this. I thought it suited all week, right, for me. I'm not in the mood for this. <laughs> Love 
There was the zen, QC's was not in the mood. That's it for the quarantine this week. We'll be back next week with a new cocktail of ideas, music and positive news for you all. In the meantime, we'd love to hear from you. So please do get hold of us by emailing us, for instance, at the quarantine podcast at gmail.com. This episode was hosted by me, Melissa Shaman. And was hosted and produced by me, Pomi Harmer. Thanks for listening. And stay safe.